This is an Equity Bates Media podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. One of the big questions is, what is money? For practical purposes, it exists in a series of heterogeneous databases, very different databases. Do you believe in crypto? Digital currency may be an answer. But it is the highly speculative asset. I do own Bitcoin. There is no second best. Welcome to the Crypto Curious Podcast, designed to help you navigate the dynamic world of cryptocurrency. We're here for anyone who's interested in crypto at all. Maybe you've already dipped your toe in the water, or maybe you don't know anything about it, and this is the very beginning. We highly recommend, though, heading back to the early episodes to get your footing. However, if you're ready to dive in head first, then let's do it. Today, we have a special episode. Blake and I are joined by our guest, Luke McFarlane, who is a fund manager and Web3 enthusiast. Luke, welcome along. Hey, Tracy. Thanks for having me. So maybe you want to give us a little bit of background about, you know, how you got into the Web3 space and um, and kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, for sure. So maybe just a bit of background on me. I've sort of been in, in equity markets or financial markets for the last 16 years, and I spent most of that time working for hedge funds trading or investing in long short equities, global equities. I spent the last 16 years, I spent eight of those years in New York. I worked for a couple of funds. One was Millennium Management, one was um, Valley Asney Asset Management, and most recently here at Platinum Asset Management in Sydney. And I got, I guess, into, into Bitcoin initially uh, back in 2018. I had a friend of mine leave uh, a hedge fund called Point72 in New York, and he went and started his own fund trading just Bitcoin, you know, and so, that piqued my interest. I started looking at the space. You know, I know the last four years really have honed it down into what this has become, which was initially just a digital payment network in Bitcoin, uh, or at least that was what it was hoped to be back then, into what is the next generation of the internet. Um, and it's not even the next generation of the internet, it's the next generation of commerce, really. And so that is something that I'm super interested in. And, and, and that's why I got into Web3 and started looking at these as businesses or networks that we're all, you know, going to participate in through time. And so hoping to apply some of those fundamental viewpoints or investment processes that I developed on the equity side into Web3. Awesome. Yeah, it's fascinating to see people coming across from TradFi or traditional finance into this sector and bringing, you know, more professionalism, more systems and processes, um, which is, you know, eventually maturing this this ecosystem. So, um, yeah, it's really awesome to see. So maybe you want to um, tell us a little bit about your fund, Vicara, what the mandate is and what you're trying to achieve. Yeah, for sure. So Vicara is a long-only Web3-focused investment fund. And what that means is that we're looking to put a portfolio of tokens together that are effectively taking advantage or giving one of our clients exposure to Web3 and the growth that's happening here without them having to do all their own work. So it's just like most people have equity managers for their super fund or you know they invest in equity managers with their with their money, we're setting up effectively a, a, an investment manager that only focuses on digital assets or cryptocurrency. But as you say, what we're trying to do is overlay a lot of these sort of best practices that I've learned in very large hedge funds 
so that you've got risk management, you've got best-in-class service providers like auditors and fund administrators and, and legal teams, you've got the best security out there and, and you've got fundamental research that's backing up your investment decisions and hopefully through time we can pick some of the best tokens and the best businesses that are spawning out of this new industry so that our clients can hold those and, and, and take advantage of that, that growth. And I'm assuming that there's a big appetite out there for clients looking for this exposure in Web3. Yeah, so there's two pieces to it. So the first piece is education and just letting everyone know that this is happening and this is it's happening right now. Web3 is not going to be something that we see just pop up one day. It's, it's sort of a slow burn and it's been ongoing for the last three or four years and I think it's gaining a lot of momentum now. So as soon as you actually get an opportunity to communicate with investors what's happening under the surface, it's very akin to what we went through back in 2000 and 2003 where the NASDAQ was just forming and we just had this you know, new renaissance in sort of the internet and there was all this potential but no one really knew what was going to happen. And I feel that's very much what Web3 is except this time all of our infrastructure is built, all of the data centers are built. Um, you don't have to dial into your internet anymore. You know, you've got your FSL already set up. And so the adoption in Web3 can be so much faster as, you know, as soon as people actually get an opportunity to look at it and interact with it. And so the demand is huge and it's only growing for the investment side because people don't have time necessarily to go and look at, you know, the thousand plus, two thousand plus tokens that we've done diligence on and, and go and put their own portfolio together. But you know, the way we're talking about it with people is that you should have an exposure. It needs to be 8% of your total allocation, uh, you know, in terms of your invested funds. And it's really about how and how much that is now, given the volatility that still exists in the space. So, um, you know, it's not financial advice, but, you know, we've most of the people that we've spoken about sort of say, hey, I kind of want to give you somewhere between 1% and 5% of my global equity allocation to put in this space. And, you know, if in five years' time decentralization is a real concept and it is taking market share from these centralized incumbents, then theoretically you'll make a lot of money. And if it goes away and I never hear about it again and I'm giving you 1% of a, of a piece of my portfolio, then it's not really going to hurt me if I lose it all, you know? Yeah, that's fascinating. So there's certainly a lot of lot of developing interest in this space, but maybe we can talk about why that is and expand a little bit more for our listeners what Web3 is and what you see it is and what you see the potential as being. Yeah, for sure. So Web3 to me is just commerce without a middleman. So it's just the ability for you and I to basically transact in any good or service or data without someone sitting in between us. Um, and so when you think about what cryptography is, it's just the code that enables that transaction effectively. And Web3 is just the services that will exist to enable those transactions. So to give an example, is probably the easiest way. So back in Web1, they used to call it, you used to dial up in your internet or it was like a company ethernet or intranet or something like that. And you would read company announcements. You couldn't really interact with people. You couldn't really comment or talk or like or anything. It was about just consuming content. Um, Web2 is much more interactive, they're you know, peer-to-peer communication, you've got your mobile device, you've got an opportunity to actually interact and, and create content, but you're doing it through a middleman. You know, Think about Instagram, think about Amazon, think about uh, Google. You have to basically go to another or a third party to post all your content, to put all your data, to give all your information away so that someone else might be able to pay for that information. And so you're effectively sharing all of that with someone else to get to the person you want to transact with. Well, Web3 is about removing that middleman and actually just allowing us to do business together. And so what that should mean through time, hopefully, is that 
any person with any data, any content, or any information that they want to add to the internet should be compensated through that through time or will not have to pay effectively more to get onto a platform or to advertise through a platform to a middleman. Because effectively, I will sell directly to you and you'll buy directly from me. And so I should capture more of the value that I create and you should pay less for that product because there isn't someone that needs a margin in between us. That's fascinating. And it is definitely reshaping business models, traditional business models. I think it might be beneficial to now start exploring some verticals that this could relate to. So we do have some industries here that might be worth exploring. So first off off the rank might be uh, gaming. So could you just give an example of how, you know, what your, your focus is in relation to gaming and how your know, gaming is going to evolve in the Web3 ecosystem? To be honest, gaming is one of those ones I know the least about, um, and it's probably the least well-developed. So we've all heard of Axie Infinity. Axie was quite famous last year, and it was about play to earn. So effectively, if you were a video gamer, you could you could get on and, and play Axie game, and you could earn tokens and in-game rewards to effectively fuel your ability to keep playing. So they're effectively paying you to keep playing. But as with all of these tokens, it was Web3. Web3 is an ecosystem, and you need more than just the players for a game to work. You need people to actually want to ultimately play and compensate these players for play. There's a thing called tokenomics in Web3, which is really just how the business model works and how a dollar of revenue comes into that business and then how it's actually sort of paid out of that business, if that makes sense. And so in play to earn so far anyway, we've seen a lot of money paid out to gamers, but we've not really seen many advertisers come in or you know sponsors come in or people that actually have real dollars to to put into the ecosystem that will effectively compensate those players. So what, what ends up happening is that loads of players gets loads of tokens. They keep selling those tokens because they want to monetize into US dollars and eventually those tokens fall over and break and the game kind of goes away because you stop your earnings capacity. But how you'll interact with it, honestly, is that uh, hopefully in the future, it will be gaming will be just as big as interactive as professional sport. I mean, it is anyway but you have to pay to play today. Um, and it's very much, uh, I wouldn't say it's an equal setting because you know there are gamers that have come through various different training schools, they've got various different coaches, they have access to all of this information um, and ability that most players don't have. Whereas in the future, any player in the world that steps up that has a similar type of uh, ability will be able to find that sponsorship, to find um, people that will come and help them play and they'll be able to reap those rewards from anywhere in the world. They won't have to be doing it from a major city or a major location. Yeah, I think I think you're right there. And looking at the numbers and the statistics, that's definitely one of the growth areas. And perhaps you can touch on, you know, what the major differences is between gaming and, say, the metaverse. So gaming is very specific to someone that has a skill to do one thing, right, which is to navigate this system better than their peers or better than the whoever else is playing that game. The metaverse has quite literally an unlimited expansion set to it because uh, theoretically gaming can exist within a metaverse and it will exist within a metaverse. You will gamify a lot of these metaverses. I mean, when you hear about gamifying anything in Web3, it's really about trying to make a user interact with the same network over and over and over again. Um, gaming's very easy. If I enjoy that game, I come back and play it because I like playing it. A metaverse is slightly different. You know, if you go into a metaverse, you run around for an hour and you go, okay, I get it. I've seen the colors. I've checked out a couple of the shops. You know, I'm going to go back to real life. How do you get someone to come back and interact there? And what you need to do is you need to build communities. 
you need to create commerce, you need to create new experiences and, and, and new ways of actually interacting with it. I mean, the way I think about a metaverse is today most people go home and they spend a little bit of their day watching TV at the end of it, you know, whether it's Netflix or it's, or it's TV sport, whatever it happens to be. Well, let me frame it like this. In two or three years, and it may not even be that long and it could even be shorter, you'll be able to sit, sit courtside at a basketball game in any game in the world and basically be there from your couch on a Tuesday, right? Um, you'll be able to plug in and, and listen to a UN speaker uh, talking about, you know, world poverty in Europe, you know, on your Wednesday night and, and we'll sit there together. You'll be able to get together around a campfire with your buddy who's living in another country, um, or, you know, and you'll you'll both have a drink, he'll have a coffee because it'll be morning his time or her time and, and you'll have a beer and you'll, de- you'll de-stress, you'll debrief, you'll have a bit of a laugh, <laughs> you know. And so the metaverse context is, is so wide and broad and I think um, – we're all still looking at it in a 2D context, which is like, oh, this could be an interesting tool that I might need, but we won't know how uh, fantastic it will be until someone creates that experience where you go, my God, I needed this 10 years ago. You know, and I, to me, it's very much like um, the invention of the iPhone. You know, when it first came out, everyone's like, I've already got a camera. I don't need another camera. You know, I've got my snake yeah. game on my 3210. Yeah. I don't need any more games. You know, it's fine. But, um, you know, two years later, every single one of us has it and it only, you know, it's an irreplaceable part of our life now. Such a good analogy, <laughs> such a good analogy, yeah. Well, that, that's obviously quite broad there and, you know, there's obviously lots of investment opportunities that could come about from, you know, this new infrastructure being built. And I think what's you know, interesting to me is really the trade-off between these decentralised metaverses and these centralised metaverses. Mm. Do you have any thoughts on how you're thinking about that from an investment perspective? Yeah, totally. So I'm a big believer in decentralisation. A centralised metaverse is Web 2, as far as I can tell. You have Big Brother looking over your shoulder, understanding what you're doing, where you're moving, who you're interacting with, and how to effectively sell you something better. It doesn't really help you much at all. A decentralized metaverse allows you to take control of your data and your time and your content and monetize it. I mean, that's the whole point of Web3 here, I think, is that a lot of people say to me, oh, I don't mind if people watch me or I don't have my privacy because I'm really boring. That's true, but really boring people still buy stuff and they still consume stuff and they still pay for tickets and they still, you know, they have some interests, right? And ultimately, even a really boring person is going to get paid in Web3 or they're going to get a cheaper fare in Web3 because they're going to actually have control of their own destiny in many ways. Um, and so, you know, you think about how much market cap is on the NASDAQ today built around the data that they harvest from us that we give it to them for free. You know, imagine if we could all quantify that and then start taking our piece back. You know, every single person globally would get a little bit extra money every single month and that money would go to your life, you know, and to, to, to making your life better. So. Um, decentralized versus centralized. I'm a decentralized believer every day of the week. Um, having said that, you've got people like Meta out there that are spending, you know, tens of billions of dollars a year developing their product. And there's no doubt that their product should theoretically be better, uh, at least initially. Um, the big delta is that uh, you've got tens of thousands of developers working on decentralized products today, and you can't look and feel them that you can't see them per se you know but you know they're working and they're also creating phenomenal products that we're seeing coming to market and ultimately the you know to create something in meta that's going to create more equity value today you need to spend that much money to make it move the needle for meta long term whereas you know something like a a decentraland or sandbox or even years coming out with their new metaverse i mean these players can have equity stakes, out, outsized equity stakes in a product that they were going to develop for Meta anyway, but they can actually list it in decentralized nature 
uh, and benefit far greater. So I think actually the incentives for a lot of these really smart developers is to shift to Web3 as well. And I, and I think we're already seeing that. Just taking taking your point in relation to sitting with your friend on the other side of the world, having a coffee or a beer, yeah, I, I would feel far more comfortable sitting in Decentraland than I would Meta because you would guarantee that Meta is recording your conversation yes. and Decentraland, you know, potentially not. So, you know, definitely I think people are going to, over time, um, move in that direction just to feel more comfortable at the very minimum. So just further on from that, I wanted to mention that when Decentraland did pop up, I think that it's a testament to where it's going and what it's doing and being decentralised. When you look at the big brands that jump straight in without hesitation, we had, you know, Sotheby's, Nike, um, you know, we had full football teams, Adidas, anyone that you can think of that's a big brand, Coca-Cola are, are in there and doing incredibly well. I saw some statistics last month on the revenue that was coming through, I think it was Nike and I think it was I think it was close to 20% of revenue was coming through Decentraland at the moment, which was phenomenal already. Yeah, it's, it, it's truly fascinating. I mean, we've been working, we're, we're going to get to it and talk about it a little bit further, but the Frida Kahlo project we've been working on, we, we've had the fortunate opportunity to work with a lot of these great metaverse designers. Um, and we're hearing, um, you know, at least anecdotally about some of the clients they're working with. And as you say, they're, they're Fortune 500 businesses, they're tier one brands. Boson Protocol, like last year, sold a Gucci suit for like $5 million in the metaverse mm. so that your avatar can walk around and look better than everybody else's, you know. And I know that's quite alienating for people. That's not necessarily what I'm going to use it for. But I think there's something for everybody in there. And to your point, Blake, it's we're not being watched or necessarily recorded in there. We can actually use it for what we would like it to be, whether it's a tool, whether it's an outlet, whether it's a source of entertainment, Um that's what's important, I think, that you, you take from it what you want to take from it and you make it enhance your life in the, in the portion of time that you want it to and, and it should be your choice and it should be your data and it should be, um, yeah, yours to, to use effectively how you want it to do. So, Luke, are there any other industries that you are focused on for Web3 and, and disruption? Yeah, like I, I truly believe that just about every industry that we look at is going to be disrupted. You know, we, we talk about Spotify you know, right now the global music industry gives about 12 cents in every dollar back to the artists effectively, you know, and so you've got 88 cents in every dollar that gets captured by a middleman somewhere. Can you imagine if we were giving 85 cents in every dollar back to the musicians? You know, how much better music we would have, how many more artists we would have. And, and this isn't just music. I mean, it goes, it goes music, it goes into art, it goes into design, it goes into every single human contributes to society in some way. And in many ways, it's the middlemen that make the money from that one talented person that effectively gets arbed away, you know, through time. Um, you know, so Spotify is a great example or, or, or kind of any creative content that you give. YouTube is another one. Even we talk about podcasts or the way that you actually have to pay to advertise on any one of these platforms. But let's dive into some, some other ones. File storage, I think, is a really simple one. So we all use Azure or AWS or, or Google to store our data or Apple, you know, for example, right? Um, and it's really funny because we don't think about where that data goes or who that data is, but when you upload a, a piece of data to any of those services, it's basically theirs to look at. You know, now I know we're all boring and I know that Google doesn't have a lot of employees chasing us around reading our, uh, you know, crappy documents that we're putting together, but the main point here is that they can if they want to. You know, and, and there's been all these cases across America where people now are being getting into trouble for stuff that they've saved on 
drives out there. And so something like a Filecoin, for example, it's a decentralized storage network. It's you and I that go and get hard drives and we set them up in, in data, data center-like things in, in various warehouses that we've procured and the blockchain stores them for us effectively. Um, but if you think more broadly about the business opportunities has created, I now no longer need a great idea to start a business. I need to find a Web3 token or protocol that's out there. I need to go and join that community. And then I need to go and actually find how best I can serve that community. And if it's data storage, for example, I've got two free rooms in my house. I could fill them out and, and, and get hard drives and start storing people's data and get paid for that, right? And I have done nothing new effectively. But then you go around like web search is another great one. I mean, Google, even I, who's trying to get off Google and <laughs> still say, I'm going to Google it. You know, it's my line. I'm going to go and Google it, <laughs> even though I don't use Google anymore. But like, so there's a, there's a search uh, site called Presearch, presearch.com. You can go there. It pays you to search, you know, and how does it do that? Advertisers jump on and they advertise keywords. Those advertisers pay you directly to use Presearch. You know, and so what do I do? Nothing. I go and get the same results I was going to get anyway, and I get a small amount of money to contribute to that. You know, and if I if I see that this comes up over the next five years, let's pretend pre-search goes and takes five or ten percent of the global search market. I will own a small piece of five to ten percent of of the global search market, effectively, because that's the other piece of Web three I probably didn't touch on is you can own it. You know, you can be a part of it. You can profit from it. You can benefit from it. Um, and it takes you to join for you to start it. You know, and then the next person joins, the next position joins, and everyone that joins after you is effectively helping you profit from the network that you identified early, effectively. So, I don't know, fashion, we've, we've mentioned, we've talked about the Gucci thing, but take any industry. I mean, one of the ones I've, I've thought about a lot, which is kind of interesting, I, went, I did this on another chat with a friend, but shops today, coffee stores, for example, you could decentralize a coffee store, right? Why does anyone need to make coffee profit from a coffee store when if the thousand people that live on our block all put in and we raised the 25 grand to start with and we put it in a token and we employed some people, we could effectively all cumulatively own that coffee store on our corner and decentralize it. And so all, all would happen is there'd be no profit. The profit would be shared with us. So as consumers, we'd pay less for our coffee, right? We would employ the people that work there and we'd get to choose and enjoy who they were and you know, be like, they're great, we'd give them a great wage, we'd pay for all of our inventory, uh, we'd have our insurances done, and effectively it would be our coffee store, it'd be a community coffee store. You know, that's Web3, you know, and it's just there's a physical location involved in that, but that's ultimately what we're doing. We're passing the margin of those businesses back to the people that actually use those businesses. We're going deep Web3 here, very deep. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Yeah, well, this is where it's going to end up. <laughs> so it's, it's really a new way of economic organisation using, you know, blockchain as, as its backbone for the accounting mechanism. And, and when you're talking about these different kind of verticals that are be, going to be disrupted, uh, Luke, you, you mentioned earlier in the podcast that you're bringing, you know, traditional methodologies of evaluating these companies like traditional equities versus, you know, Web3 projects. Are there any really key differences when you're evaluating the different, you know, structures? Um, or what, what do you look for that you wouldn't traditionally look for? So there, there is no profit you know, and so most people look at this space and they say, oh, well, there's no valuation because these businesses don't make any profit. Um, but I think that's kind of a, a naive way to look at it because the profit is designed to be removed from the system. And so as a user, I get a benefit 
but it's not a profit exactly, you know, or as someone that can't quantify what my privacy is worth to me, I'm willing to spend more on this platform to get that privacy. Again, that's not a profit, but it's a benefit and it's very hard to quantify. And so when we're thinking about it, you know, my, a lot of my background's in commodities. And again, it's, it's funny as a commodity guy coming in here and having a look at a tokenomics model and saying, oh, this is just supply demand. You know, if the demand for these tokens is higher than the supply, the price will go up. And so how do you create demand? You know, the tokenomics are very good at creating supply, which is I'm gonna give you something free to use this product, that's great. But then once that person has that something free, they go and sell it immediately and you need someone to actually buy it off them to balance the demand of that of that tokenomic model. And so we spend a lot of time modeling out demand um, and trying to understand what these businesses can be used for, if anyone's using them, are they having a good experience? And we go and talk to the stakeholders, we talk to the teams, um, we talk to their competitors in, in centralized businesses and say, where are you having sticking points and, and, and where are you finding issues onboarding people? Um, and there's some great dashboards out there that we put together and a lot of this information is on chain and we can actually see this fundamental data real time because unlike an equity or unlike a traditional market, we don't have to wait for three months for them to report all their earnings to tell us how last quarter went. Um, I can tell you today how it's going and whether it's growing, whether it's shrinking, if more people are joining, if more people are enjoying it. Um, you know, and there's so many different metrics that we can look at. I mean, social engagement is one of the biggest one. Um, and as an equity holder, I never cared at all about social engagement because you think about someone when you interact with Starbucks, I never walk out, you never walk out of there and have someone say, Hey, did you really like that? Did you have fun? We're going to go back tomorrow. You know, maybe you did in the early days, but now it's just like, no, you went in there because you needed a coffee and it's, this is a coffee store. You know, it's kind of that simple. Whereas with web three, it's quite, it's so small. You can actually get a hold of your largest clients and have a talk about it. Why are they using this? What do they enjoy about it? What's their sticking point? And you're seeing good teams evolve and iterate very quickly their tokenomic models so that, you know, through time actually, I mean, um, Filecoin's a great one. They're adding the ability to interact with the blockchain now. So you're actually gonna go and have a virtual machine and you're gonna be able to write sort of smart contracts to allow you to say, oh, you know, my doctor needs access to my data. I'm going to give him access to my, my medical records. My school needs access to something or the local sports club needs something. And I'm going to be able to now pass this out and give my data access or access to my data all over the place. And, and again, it just creates more and more opportunities to onboard more and more people that perhaps hadn't thought this was a viral alternative. And the, the list is kind of endless, I guess. I'm not sure if they answer the question, but it's moving very quickly. Yeah, you did. And you talk about it moving quickly and onboarding all of those people. And, and what time frame do you see for this adoption curve actually happening? That's the biggest risk to what I'm doing. I mean, it could take <laughs> it, like it could take 20 years, you know. I mean, but it, it, and actually, I don't think it will, you know. So if you if you go back to 00102 when tech just started. There was so much physical infrastructure that was required to make this happen. You know, we didn't even have mobile devices in the way that we do today, smart devices. Um, today, all of that infrastructure is in place. And really, it's just about an education uh, process that people need to go on and, and a pathway where people need to ask themselves, why am I giving this away for free? And can I be paid for this information? And I think as soon as people realize they can either pay less for something or be paid for their information, it will be a very quick transition. And again, like what I keep telling uh, people that want to get into the space is that the sooner that you're in and the sooner that you're talking about it and you understand it and you're benefiting from this, the sooner your mates are and the sooner their mates are. And then all of a sudden it just becomes a snowball where, you know, in two or three or four years time, once regulation's set and once we know exactly who can and can't invest here and how, you know, you're going to get all of the rich pension funds all over the world chasing this space 
And they are going to be the ones that are buying into the networks that you've spent time investing in and you've spent time collecting tokens for free in. And they will be the ones that are ultimately underwriting the value of your business that you've chosen to invest in. You know, and so the way I look at it is if we get Web3 right, this is the a huge wealth transfer that should theoretically happen from the 1% to the 99%. And so what I'm trying to do is make sure the 99% own this before the 1% do, so that when the 1% come, it's us selling to them this time, right? <laughs> Which I don't know if I can say it like that. That's that's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, exactly. So apart, like, obviously, Vicara, your Web3 fund is super exciting, but I know you're working on other things in um, Decentraland, for example. So do you want to talk about um, Frida's project that you've been uh, been working on? Yeah, for sure. So easel.life is the name and it's also the website of this business we met with frida carlo's family it's her grandniece still around um and we brought her like maybe back up a little bit frida carlo is a mexican painter for those that don't know she was around 30s 40s and 50s phenomenal woman she's bisexual she's the highest selling female artist i think she sold a painting for 35 million late last year just a phenomenal history bunch of adversity she's got so many she means so many different things to so many different people Anyway, when we met with her family, we got the opportunity to bring Frida into the metaverse. And uh, what we're trying to do really is um, so much about Frida's story is centered around Diego Rivera, who was her husband at the time. Um, Diego's Mexico's most famous male painter. And fascinatingly, Frida's life was always in the shadow of Diego for so long because she was a female. You know, and it's only been the last 10 years, maybe 15, where people have sort of woken up and gone, actually, she was fantastic and her story is even better than fantastic. And all of a sudden she's now, you know, much higher seller than, than Diego. And I think through time that's only going to improve. And the, the, what we've tried to like, encapsulate in this metaverse and Decentraland is to tell Frida's story from, from her family's side, um, what she went through, you know, what she was like as a kid, how it sort of set up that she became this fantastic painter. And so there's seven houses. There's, there's a house in Decentraland which is designed after a family home. So when she moved out of the blue house, it's called Casa Azul in Mexico City with Diego. She moved into Casa Roja, which is the red house, which is the metaverse that we've created with her family. And she lived out the rest of her days there. But it's a really fascinating story because her niece got to about 13. Her niece was sort of in a, in a, in a setup where she became a woman and they needed to get her out of the house. They got her out of the house into the new family home. And, you know, Frida eventually went her own way. But you go back through Frida's childhood and you, you talk about the adversity she faced. Actually, she asked for Diego's permission or approval to become a painter, you know, back in the early days. And so the, this house is really about the first 20 years of her life. And it's about explaining all of the trials and tribulations she went through to get to the point where she had an opportunity to ask if she could be a painter by a man. Um, so there's this big kind of gender equality issue that, that's there and, and that we tease out, but there's all of these different rooms that you can kind of go and, and look through and hopefully you'll see, you know, I think there's a hundred odd uh, different artifacts that were Frida's, they all belong to her. They all have a special story that the family's told and encapsulated with it. And, and really what we're trying to do with this first part of three series is really give you a, a piece of Frida's life that you can't see through the art or you, you know, you need, to get a more 3D kind of uh, look at it. Yeah, and, and it's my understanding that millions of people visit her real home in Mexico every year. And of course, not everyone can afford to do this pilgrimage or has the ability to, or, you know, might have health issues or, or so on and so forth. But, you know, through the metaverse, you know, it gives people an opportunity to go and see, you know, their, their idol or their favorite artist or, or learn about the history with a very low barrier to entry. A hundred percent. And that's, 
what is all that life is trying to do. We're trying to bring time, culture and humanity to Web3, you know, and, and effectively democratize learning, democratize these places that you can't get to or, you know, you don't have the means to, but have so much significance and there's so much great to learn there. So another one of the people we're working with is the, the, the Institute of Anthropology and History in, in Mexico, and they've got 193 um, historical sites from uh, Tiwakan and Chichen Itza, the two largest pyramids in Mexico. Um, I think Tiwakan is actually the largest by mass pyramid in the world. It's not quite as tall as Giza, but it's beautiful, and there's so much history there, and, and they've just found a tunnel in 2018 that goes in and underneath the pyramid and uncovers a whole lot of things that the public's never had access to. And so we're digitizing all of this and we're going to bring it into a metaverse soon and hopefully, you know, allow kids all over the world to come in to understand what it would have looked like back there. There's 120,000 people living there at the time. Yeah, and it's going to be fascinating. I have to jump in there because for the listeners, we caught up with Luke before we did the interview today and he mentioned this project and my kids are really into all this stuff at the moment. So we went on and searched this particular place and my boys were just absolutely enthralled with this. Um, at 10 and 8, they loved it. They were looking all through it. They We saw the press release about these tunnels underneath and I was trying to explain to them the fact that we would be able to, to go there through, you know, the VR goggles and what, and they just thought this was the coolest thing ever. So I can see that where this will be. I can honestly see how this kind of thing would work with children, with schools and with that kind of thing. Yeah, totally. And I think about how we were taught history or culture or art you have to read it. It's kind of stuffy. It's like, you know, it's very hard to get a 10-year-old to care. Whereas if you could say, hey, we're going to go to, to, to Rome circa 100 BC and, and you, you snap your fingers and we're there in a metaverse. We're walking around and there's chariots running around and you can see it and feel and interact with it. And this is like back to your point earlier about the gamification. It's like, how do I get a 10-year-old to come back? Well, I say, well, let's let's create some sort of um, game where you've got to go and collect certain items. You know, find you need a sword from, yeah. a, from from from. You got to find things, and you've got to mm-hmm. you know trade and things. You got to set some rules for the community that's living there. And you and you know, like with Tiwakan, for example, they had one hundred and twenty odd gods that they worshipped at the time through Mexico. You know, like. Maybe we need to create a, a game where you go and actually interact with those gods and understand what the messages were that they were saying. Now, obviously, you need to, um, you know, make sure this is choreographed for children, but, like, it's not that hard either, and there's so much to learn within that that your kid will come out and, and you can actually get them to retain so much more information and have much better learning outcomes um, if they've actually had the right learning experience. Wow, this is fascinating and, and certainly exciting. And yeah, I think we're painting a really strong picture of what the future is going to look like in hopefully just a few short years. But also there's there's a lot of lot of work to do, you know, to, to get there. And we need lots and lots of developers and, and entrepreneurs to build out these products and services and, and these these experiences. Um, so, yeah, into this broader picture, how do NFTs fit into this? Yeah, NFTs are funny, really, or a contentious topic. I mean, you, you can use an NFT to do whatever you want, really. It, it can be a trading card. It can be a ticket to get in somewhere. It can be a membership to a social club. Um, it can be a, a painting on your wall. I mean, the way I like NFTs the most is is people look at the Board 8 Yacht Club or the CryptoPunks and they're like, I would never pay so much money for such a stupid image right like doesn't make any sense but actually when you take a step back you're like that is they're both one of the most exclusive social clubs in the world right they've got you know members between 20 and 45 they're insanely high net worths um and they're all working and doing on totally diverse random things and so like 
old people join, I shouldn't say that like this, but many people join golf clubs or they join their local social club and they pay their 10 or 20 grand to get in and then they pay their annual membership and they play golf every single year as a function of that. I look at a lot of those projects very similar to like your local social club that you want to get access to these people and these and these communities. Now, if you think about NFTs more broadly, like what does it mean for the art community? It means that there are no centralized gatekeepers around art anymore um, because I can buy whatever I want. I don't need someone to tell me this is X years old and it's this type of painter and blah, blah, blah. I'm just going to sit there and like, no, I like it. And if, if I'm willing to put that value on it, that's what it's worth, you know? And so I hope through time, people that are actually creating NFTs get the opportunity to realize that the difference between selling 10,000 of one item or one item worth $10,000 is there's no difference for them um, in many ways. And, and so I think you're going to be able to democratize art in many ways because we will all have these phenomenal screens on our walls that will say, oh, I bought this because of X, Y, and Z reminding me, or I went here and I bought this and here's my curation of what I've got. And so, yeah, you can use it in whatever way you want. I mean, the way we're thinking about NFTs, for example, like wearables are going to be a big thing. And I think in your metaverse, you're going to want to have a nice ring on there. I think Nike's going to want to sell you a nice pair of shoes, which will be an NFT. You know, I think even 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 through time, uh, NFTs will be your your ability to monetize Web3. So like podcasters, for example, will NFT the audio files that they have so that no one can come and cut and paste your words or your sayings or your quotes they'll have to pay you something for them uh, and they'll have to give back to you for your content you've created. So I think there's there's loads of opportunities out there and I think we're still in the very early innings of what these things evolve into and, and um, I just say keep your mind open, <laughs> really, because I, I haven't figured it out perfectly yet either. <laughs> well, I guess that kind of leads on to one of the last questions is how we've just talked about a lot of fanciful things that seem like they might be quite far in the future but seem pretty awesome and and. You know, I for one look forward to all of these different changes and, you know, these exciting things that are happening. But how do we set our lives up for these changes in the short term and in the long term? I mean, we, we talked about, you know, for one being perhaps um, invested in some of these things uh, in our portfolio, but what other things should we be be looking at? What I do with everything that I consume these days, I say, right, is there anyone else doing this? You know, like I, I jump on my Chrome browser every day and I say, well, what else could I do here? And actually, it turns out Brave has a phenomenal browser that I use. Oh, it's love faster, Brave. it's better, yep. they pay me to use it. It's awesome. Okay, well, I go to Google every day. Does anyone else do this in Web3? Yeah, actually, Presearch does. It's awesome. So I'm going to go and do that. You know, like I've got all the way down the rabbit hole now. Of, um, I've bought a new phone that's a decentralized phone. I've got all my data off on decentralized storage. I, I'm trying to take my entire world into Web3. Um, and it's pretty lonely, I've got to tell you. So I'm on a lot of the, the social media sites for Web3 and there's like, three of us out there, you know, <laughs> so like my content, my, my content is pretty quiet. But but this is the other opportunity, right, which I think people should think about is that if you can create content for a growing ecosystem and people are only joining, you can go and take an outside, you can become an outsized voice in that space. And so what I'm trying to do is create content for those people that are out there with me that want to get into a decentralized social media or, or, or video service or whatever the content happens to be um, and capture that market share before everyone gets there. You know, it's kind of like going camping for 20 years at the same place and it's beautiful. And over the 20 years, everyone else finds it. And the 20th year you turn up and there's a million people there already. Like it's mm. so good to be the first one there to know what it's like, know what to expect and know how to tell everyone Great where the walks analogy. are and a cool place to check out. Mm. I think that's what Web3 is right now. So just start exploring really. And the more you read, the more you'll find and um, the more you'll believe it's real and all of a sudden it'll just become real. 
For sure. Yeah. So that might be a really good place to, to wind today up. Thanks so much for your time, Luke. I think that's really yeah, sparked everyone's imagination and, and really projecting into the future. And uh, yeah, it's been really enjoyable speaking with you. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Luke. That was great. You've certainly got a, um, a way with words and a good imagination. It's certainly made me look forward to what's to come. So appreciate your time. Thanks for having me, guys. Crypto Curious is a product of Equity Mates Media. All information in this podcast is for education and entertainment purposes only. Equity Mates gives listeners access to information and educational content provided by a range of financial service professionals. It is not intended as a substitute for professional finance, legal, or tax advice. The hosts of Crypto Curious are not aware of your personal financial circumstances. Equity Mates Media does not operate under an Australian financial services license and relies on the exemption available under the Corporations Act of 2001 in respect of any information or advice given. Before making any financial decisions, you should read the product disclosure statement and, if necessary, consult a licensed financial professional. Do not take financial advice from a podcast. For more information, head to the disclaimer page on the Equitymates website where you can find the ASIC resources and find a registered financial professional near you. In the spirit of reconciliation, Equitymates Media and the hosts of Crypto Curious acknowledge the traditional custodians of country throughout Australia and their connections to land, sea and community. We pay our respects to the elders past and present and extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people today. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app. You can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM.